Good morning. It's good to see everybody here today, and if you're visiting with us at Grace, we're thrilled that you're here to be a part of our service, and we will be having a visitor's luncheon uh, next Sunday immediately following the service, and so if you're interested in knowing more about Grace, we'd love to, to fill you in, get to know you, and you can get to know us a little better, and uh, we just uh, thank the Lord uh, for that opportunity, so if you're interested after church immediately uh, next Sunday. We have a fellowship at the end of the month, and <clears throat> Cindy DeArmond <clears throat> is overseeing that fellowship. So is Cindy... Oh, <laughs> she's right here. So Cindy's going to come up and, and explain a little bit about that. Okay. make this announcement, but um, he asked me... Thad was supposed to make this announcement. You, let me take you don't have to repeat that part. Okay. <laughs> Thad was supposed to make this announcement. <laughs> but he asked me to do it. So anyway, we have these envelopes out there in the foyer. And if you would just take one of these and put your money in there, that would be great. It is August the 24th on Saturday night from 6 to 9. And uh, it is for couples. And it's called the Dynamic Duos Fellowship. And we go together like Batman and Robin, Mickey and Minnie, or whatever your favorite duo is. And you don't have to dress up. Some people have fussed about having to dress up. You don't have to dress up. But if you want to dress up, you're welcome to dress up. I think several people already have their costumes picked out. And uh, if you do want to dress up, there might be a prize involved. So um, just think about that. And it could be a pretty good prize, too. The deadline to sign up is August the 18th, and we need your envelope and your payment for it. Um, also, we want you to bring your wedding album for everybody to look at. I had to go dig mine out the other day, and it took me a little while to find it because... Um, We've been married 50 years now, so um, I had to kind of find it. My pictures are sort of faded, but uh, you can still see Ed with black hair. And uh, I had black hair too. I still do. <laughs> but I have a little help. Um, we really would like for y'all to sign up and come. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But anyway, that's all, and um, y'all just come on. That's all right, I got it, thank you. Right. <laughs> I won't say anything about Ed's hair. At least he still has some, right? <laughs> all right, well, this morning, um, a couple of things I want to share with you. And if you can go ahead and pull that slide up for me, Ron, I left my little clicker down there. Um, last week I had several people ask me about um, reading through Romans and so I thought well I would explain a little bit about that uh, to you as a congregation I think it's important that we talk about the word with each other that that be something that we enjoy together and um, beyond just right the 1030 service that we have every week and beyond the small group ministry that we have but but just to be able to talk through God's Word. And so we started in May, if you remember, we read through the Gospel of John, and then in June and July, and some of you are still going, I hear, 
through Genesis, but um, that's all right. There's grace. And so um, we read through the book of Genesis, and now we are um, reading through the book of Romans. And one of the things that I added to, to our reading is making observations. And so, Ron, if you just click to that next slide. I just gave you a simple definition there of observation. What that is really two questions. Simply stated, what do I see in the text and what does it say? Okay, what I see, what does it say? There are a lot of things that go with that, but um, uh, it's very important that all of us be students of the Word, right? I think that's very, very important, especially in the culture we live in today. So many people have questions about Scripture, and as the Word says, we need to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. And so I just want to encourage you guys uh, to do that. I gave you some examples of what that would be like. Um, And so I would just encourage you, if you have not started the book of Romans, um, we're going to take through the whole month here of August. And so there's a lot of grace uh, present in, in August because there's only 16 chapters in Romans. But I would encourage you to do that. This week I had a few people text me and a few people email me, and I would love to see your observations. I think it's really good for us to be accountable to each other uh, in regards uh, to the Word. So uh, I just wanted to encourage you about that this morning. Also, this week, this last week, we received in the mail the Gospel of John's. Uh, we actually were able to, to get some from Carl Benedict, and uh, he gave us 400 copies. I've already given 100 to Jordan and Jordan and the college ministry, they're, they're doing this um, uh, cleanup. What's the park? Clean up Cosby Lake. I've never walked around Cosby Lake. And the reason is because I hear they have snakes. I'm really not into snakes. I go to concrete pavement, that kind of thing. So, but um, they're going to clean up uh, Cosby Lakes and hand out Gospel of John's. And this morning I was walking uh, uh, in the foyer. And uh, Laura Dooley and I just started uh, chatting. And she told me a story about this little booklet. So, Lord, would you come up and just share a little bit about that with all of us this morning? Good morning. Um, Thad asked if I would say something, and my initial response would be no. But how can you not share... um, your testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for your life. Um, My freshman year in college, I didn't know Christians. I wasn't raised in a Christian family. And God was wooing me. And I uh, was sitting on campus one day, and a lady walked by. I saw her walk by. And then she turned around looked at me, and she came back. And she handed me a track and asked if I would take a few minutes and talk about Jesus with her. And I said, okay. And she went through it and asked if I would pray after we got to the end. I said, no, that, you know, that's a bit much. This is something to consider. But she gave me a, a, something very similar to this. And I took it home um, Saturday. This was a Friday. Saturday night I went to a bar with some people. And we were there when they were closing and sweeping the floors. And I pulled this out of my pocket and started reading it with, you know. And it was amazing. And I went back to my dorm room, and I completed the entire Gospel of John that night, and I prayed to receive Christ. And he has been faithful ever since. And, you know, the Word, you don't have to save people. The Word, God can use it um, in their life. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so that's my story. Isn't that awesome? 
and other no accidents with the Lord and so what an accident we bumped into each other today and I was like man Lord what a great testimony and we just so thankful the Lord is the Savior of the world and so uh, we want to acknowledge that and just thank you so much Lord for sharing your story uh, with us this morning why don't we stand let's open in a word of prayer uh, together Wow, Father, just to hear um, that amazing testimony of how you used an individual who was probably really nervous, <laughs> who may not have necessarily wanted to stop, and yet they did. They were faithful and uh, gave the track and gave the gospel of John to Laura and just how you, Lord, opened her eyes to see her need for you and I just want to thank you so much for that testimony. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that as we have opportunities to um, pass out and distribute these Gospel of John's to people we come in contact with, Lord, that we would just pray over that. And that you would just, um, as you lead us to different folks, that we would just have the opportunity to, to hand them a Gospel of John. And, Lord, your word, that's where the power is. So, um, like Laura said, we just pray over these booklets, we pray, Lord, that you would use them in the lives of people that we come in contact with, that we're able to, to give out uh, your word, your gospel to the world who, who is lost, Lord, and, and really needs a Savior. And for all of us who belong to you this morning, we can certainly be thankful that we do. And I pray, Lord, this morning that um, what we do uh, here and, and what we say, what we sing, all the different components of this worship this morning, that that our focus would be on you and how you would use these things that uh, we sing and that we learn today uh, in our lives, that we might um, serve you well and bring honor and glory to you. Thank you, Lord, for each one who's here, and uh, we just thank you for the time you've given us to worship together in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. I am thankful that... Um the gospel is not based on the eloquence of my words. Um, how many of you guys have children or grandchildren? A raise of hands. So a lot of people. Any of your children or grandchildren ever ask you a question and it stumped you? Does that happen? So uh, last Monday I was putting little Callie to bed and um, she's starting to be really, really inquisitive about the Lord. And uh, she, she looked at me and said, Daddy, how did God make all this? And it stumped me because I was sitting there going, how am I supposed to explain how he did all this. And it's, it's real simple, right? And um, in Psalm 33, I want to read these first nine verses to kind of set the tone for uh, our worship this morning. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre and make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were, cre were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. That's the God we worship this morning. He, he, every, think about the complexity of your vision. You ever thought about how you can see? That blows my mind. That's, like, that's the God we serve. All that complexity that we, um, we've gotten to behold as his creation, 
He spoke it into existence. That's the God we serve this morning, so we're going to sing about it. of heights to the depths of the sea creations revealing your majesty from the colors of fall to the fragrance of spring every creature unique in the song that it all exclaiming indescribable uncontainable you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name you are amazing god all powerful untamable all struck we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim you are amazing, God. Who has told every lightning bolt where it should go? Or seen heavenly storehouses laden with snow? Imagine the sun and give source to its light Yet conceals it to bring us the coolness of night None can fathom, indescribable, uncontainable You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name You are The stars in the sky and you know them by name You are amazing God Incomparable, unchangeable You see the depths of my heart and you love me the same You are amazing God depths of my heart and you love me the same you are amazing God you see the depths of my heart and you love me the same you are amazing God That amazing God who created all is the same God that has given it all.
that we might know him. Let's sing about that this morning. And everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. And everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Let's sing to him. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Take me as you find me. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures. And fill my life again. I give my life to follow. Everything I believe in. Now I'm so. God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the For the glory 
of the risen King. Amen. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. It white as snow. And indeed, I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim I'll wash my garments dry in the blood of Calvary's land Jesus paid it all all to him I A crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save my life shall still repeat Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. Amen. You guys can be seated. We did this song um, 
just two weeks ago. I want to invite you guys to sing along with us. He's worthy of our praise and worship this morning. Amen. Tell him he's worthy. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. And holy, there is no one like there is none beside you open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you.
I will build my life. Let's sing that together. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Amen. All right, kiddos, you can go to Children's Church. Or you can stay in here. Totally up to you. Well, we're back in the book of Jonah today. Hard to believe there's only two messages left in the book. There is this week and next week, unless I just get carried away and there might be three or four more weeks, who knows. But I want you to take your Bibles and go to Jonah, the third chapter. And then I want you to make sure you have your little booklet I gave you, right? It is the little booklet. And... um, I figured you probably looked at it and thought, oh my goodness, we're going to be here all day. But we won't be. Um, In the booklet I gave you, hopefully everyone has one. If you don't have one, um, raise your hand and somebody will come around. Phil, we got a couple up. Do we have more booklets? There's some folks up here that don't have one. Right up here in the front. And then right up here. So if you have them out of order, it's Lloyd Lett's fault. All right? He helped me today put those together. And um, I trust it's going to be beneficial for you to have. I've really enjoyed the study of Jonah. And um, it has been so much fun for me. As I've told several people, um, it is not a kid's story. Uh, we're all Jonah. All of us have um, some of the same traits that Jonah uh, had, and we can learn a lot from this book, and uh, so I do want us to uh, uh, remember, you know, don't just walk away going, well, we studied Jonah, but how can I take what we've studied then and apply it to my life? Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get started. So, Lord, um, we need your Spirit to guide us. And uh, your spirit's our teacher. And I just pray that um, as we look through uh, Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 this morning, that your spirit would um, lead us and guide us and help us, Lord, that as we leave this place today, that we're challenged um, in our walk with you. In the name of Christ, amen. So last week we looked a little bit um, together at some of the history, kind of ask ourselves the question, hey, what, you know, did Jonah face as he comes to Nineveh? Certainly he wasn't going to get the red carpet treatment, right? Hey, here comes Jonah. We've been waiting for this guy. Um, But he's got a mission, and the Lord has set this mission in front of him, and there's no getting out of the mission. I mean, if there was, then he would have died at sea. There's no getting out of the mission that God has uh, for Jonah, we looked at a little bit of the history of that and tried to put ourselves like, okay, if somebody was called to, to be a missionary to the United States, you know, kind of what would they face? You know, what would we tell them? 
that they would face uh, in our day and our time. And I, one of the things I thought about this week was that um, our culture really doesn't need God, right? We're, we're doing fine without him. Uh, we're marching day to day. Everything's taken care of. We need, we really don't need this God. And um, the Assyrians were doing fine too. And, and they really didn't need this God, but God had given Jonah a mission and they really did need this God, uh, the God that you and I uh, worship and serve. And so as we come this morning, we want to deal with just briefly before we get into the text, there's one area I wasn't able to deal with last week that I wanted to, and it's the Assyrians and death and how they kind of viewed that. It's really strange. So I think if you go to page four or five in your notes, that's where it is, the Assyrians and death. Um, death in the Assyrian religion was not uh, viewed optimistically. In fact, the spirit of the dead would go to the underworld okay, and exist in a miserable condition where it was dark and hopeless. Doesn't that sound great? It was an existence of inactivity, according to the history. Some were permitted to escape this fate, and at the top of the list were the rulers of the Assyrian Empire. And so... Um, one other fact about that that I thought was really kind of silly, but pretty interesting. It would be silly to us, but interesting as well. History records that the Assyrians would place a hand of the deceased into a plate of food. So they would have something for the trip to the underworld. Um, Teresa put my hand in crawfish etouffee, right? <laughs> Shrimp creole. That kind of thing. Um, it's interesting, too, also, I didn't put it in your notes, but they would bury the dead actually in their homes underneath their house. And um, if they were wealthy, um, they would have a room that was just dedicated to those that they would bury uh, in their family. So you look at this and you go, you just shake your head and go, wow, right? But how many times have you been to a funeral and seen hopelessness? Been there? You know? I could give you example after example of people who I've done funerals for and they're just hopeless. I remember sitting one time in the, in the living room of a family and um, they had lost a son. And, and literally they were doing like this. We can do this. We can do this. We can get through it. And I'm sitting there going, no, no, you need the Lord to get through this. And uh, so, you know, we look at that and we go, oh, that's kind of odd. But it made me think about um, the way we view death. And um, I heard Tony Evans speak mm, two, three years ago, and he made a comment that has just stayed with me. He preached a sermon, and in the sermon he says, um, death is a promotion, not a demotion. How do you like that? It's a promotion, not a demotion. But it sometimes is treated like it's a demotion. And I think that it's good for us to kind of have a healthy view of death. Now, I'm not saying you go home and go, well, I really want to die today. But there should be this mindset of the believer that, man, when I close my eyes here, I'm forever with the Lord. I mean, Paul had that mind. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, but I, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Notice that if I am to live on in the flesh, it means it's all about me. <laughs> There's none of that. If I live on in the flesh, 
this will mean fruitful labor for me. And when he's talking about fruit, fruitful labor, the object of that is Christ. He's laboring for Christ. He says, and I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Look at that little phrase, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. How many of you believe that today? <laughs> you can say that a little louder if you want to. But isn't it true, though? Death's a mystery for us. I mean, we're at funerals, and we're talking about the hope, right? We're at a funeral, and the person that's laying there, if they're a believer, we're like, the hope is that they're with the Lord. But we haven't experienced death, but that's our hope. And I love the hope that Paul has and the testimony of believers. You think about the testimony in, in Acts 7 with Stephen as he's being stoned, and, 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 and it's like, hey, I'm going to be with the Lord, Well, all right, that's pretty much the introduction to chapter 3. So that took us a week and a little bit of time. Um, there's one more thought that I want to give you, though, before we actually get to the text. And that is about the compassion of the Lord. Because when you think about it, all right, Israel, under Jeroboam II, they weren't doing good spiritually. So the Lord could have just said, hey, Jonah, I need you to speak to the people in Israel. But he doesn't do that. He's got this mission for him in Nineveh. But it brings to mind the fact that the Lord has compassion. And is the compassion extended beyond the people there in Israel. Um, considering the passion, compassion of the Lord, I pulled up a little bit of history of what it was like just 100 years prior to um, Jonah coming to Nineveh. And um, if you go back a century earlier and consider the history of the Assyrians, this is what you come to. I just called this king under King Apol. You can pronounce that for me after church. I actually went to the website. You can go to a website for pronunciation, and they'll give it to you. But I feel like they're all butchering it anyway. So I just come up with a short name. So under King Apol, that's what I call him, because I know the last part's pronounced Paul, not Pal. Apol, uh, the second, the Assyrians were a ruthless people. He wrote in his military journal these words. I destroyed, I demolished, I burned, I took their warriors prisoner and impaled them on stakes before their cities. He also described taking prisoners and cutting off their hands or nose ears and fingers, burning them alive, gouging out eyes, and even skinning them alive. And man, ooh, wow, Jonah's looking forward to this. Man, that sounds great. All this and more was done to intimidate other nations, and Jonah was sent to these folks, and I just put, wow. That's who he's going to. That's the mission of this man. And we look at it, we go, okay, well, Jonah went, and he did. But this is what he was going to. I mean, like I said earlier, they, they weren't going, hey, here comes the prophet. But the prophet goes. And that's where we come to in um, chapter 3. I gave you some verses there to consider about the compassion of the Lord. Notice what it says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. 
Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What does that mean? That means we have a responsibility. That means we take those gospel of John's and we hand them out and let the Lord do his work. Second Peter, which we just got through studying not too long ago, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I mean, the message of the gospel, is it available to all? Absolutely. That's the responsibility that you and I have. You and I have the responsibility, and I tell you, as I was telling you a few weeks ago, going over to England, I mean, it's just a pagan culture. And, and they're just, it, there is not a massive group of people following Jesus Christ. And I look around the United States, and the masses are getting smaller and smaller of true believers in Christ. And so we have a a tremendous responsibility and, I would say, opportunity to share the gospel with the lost. All right, so as we come to uh, chapter 3, let's read together concerning the recommissioning of the prophet. Notice verses 1 and 2 of Jonah chapter 3. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Man, the second time. I look at this and I go, man, the Lord, he is a God of second chances. True? How about your life? How many chances has God given you? And you think, well, chances to do what? I'll I'll tell you one. Chances to obey him as it relates to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That verse is for us as well. You know what that verse says? The Lord tells his disciples, you shall be my what? Witnesses, you shall be my martyrs. That's the word in the Greek. Now, I don't see any follow-up with, I really don't want to do that right now. They just do it. And think about how God uses those apostles to literally change the world. They had a message to tell. And so I look at it and I'm like, man, Lord, we really need to get on board, don't we? with the mission that the Lord has given us. Um, So he says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it, now look at this, the proclamation which I am going to tell you. That's what you have permission to do. (laughs) Uh, We'll talk about that in just a second. All right, so what do we see? First of all, we see that the assignment for the prophet did not change. It didn't change. The only thing different from chapter 1 that we don't have in chapter 3 is he doesn't describe here in chapter 3 the wickedness. In chapter 1, it says their wickedness had come up before him. In chapter 3, he doesn't mention the wickedness. He had already mentioned that to Jonah. And so we have here the assignment that was given to the prophet. It didn't change. His marching orders are the same. And I would say for us, our marching orders are no different than the marching orders that the Lord gave to the apostles. Do you agree with that? 
Come on. Okay. So if we agree with it, then what are the hindrances to us doing that? Fear. How many of you are afraid? Hey, I like participation. Yeah, I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death. Every single time. I've never had an experience where I walked up and just says, man, you need Christ. I'm just not that guy. I want to be that guy. But I build relationships with people. And then I'm, the Lord will move. Right? That's how it happens for me. But all of us have the assignment. And yeah, hey, we're fearful. But I got great news for you. The same God who saved you and called you out and separated you The same Holy Spirit who indwells you is with you wherever you go. I'm going to tell you something. I see in the church today, the mission needs to catch on with the younger people. Now, I'm not picking on you. I'm just being honest. And I'm 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 one of the younger people. I put myself in that category. Right? Because I have guys, mentors... And, and men and women who I have learned under, and I've watched them, and man, they have been blazing a trail for the gospel of Christ. And I'm just, I'm looking at our culture today. Listen, we live in a world where we need to see all of us participate, blaze the trail for the gospel of Christ. Well, so the assignment didn't change, it was the same. Secondly, I notice here that the commissioning came with three imperatives. There are three commands that the Lord gives to Jonah. This is kind of funny. First one, he says, is arise. That word arise is used in chapter 1, verse 2, and chapter 1, verse 6. And it simply means get up. Get up. And do you know sometimes that's used for getting up from a comfortable position. Mmm. Man, that's got some good application to it, doesn't it? Because maybe in the church, I'm just, maybe, we'll use our imaginations here, maybe in the church we're a little comfortable at times. And somebody needs to kick us, wake us up. Because I guarantee you something, guys. I need the kick. I need it. Right? Jonah needed it. So the Lord tells him to rise and he tells him to go. Look what that means. It means to go. It means go. So he said, arise, go. And then the last word there is interesting too. The word is proclaimed. The word means to preach. And literally it means this. It means to cry out. Right? I mean, people, um, I think today, and I understand where they're coming from. I'm not going to yell at you. Okay? I'm not going to do that. But I do get excited about the Lord. Is that Okay. It's okay to get excited about what you're preaching on and teaching on, right? It's the Word of God. For heaven's sakes, I mean, the word that the Lord uses here is call aloud. It means to implore. I mean, Jonah just didn't walk into Nineveh and go, hey, guys. Man, he's, he's roaring. That's the idea. It means to roar. Hey, we're about to hear a whole bunch of roaring, right? Down on the plains, they're going to be roaring. In that other city, they're going to be roaring. It's hard for me to say that city. Mm. They're going to be roaring, and they're really going to be roaring in Fayetteville, right? 
at least week one. <laughs> After that, they'll probably be crying. <laughs> literally crying you know what happens in Arkansas whenever uh, after about two or three weeks of, of football they said well basketball season's right around the corner <laughs> and they really do say that I mean I'm being serious <laughs> all right so he's called out here to preach to proclaim that's the idea and then thirdly um the people in the city of Nineveh certainly seem to be of great concern to the Lord. I mean, how many times is just the word city repeated, the word city or Nineveh? I mean, the Lord is concerned about those people. So it got me to thinking, well, who am I concerned about in my life? You know, I'll be honest. I mean, I was thinking about a city. I'm concerned about Washington, D.C. Any of you concerned about Washington, D.C.? Yeah, I'm concerned about San Francisco, and I'm concerned about Chicago, and there's lots of cities we could mention I'm concerned about Birmingham. Let's start in our own Jerusalem, right? So who is on our radar of concern? So he tells him, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. Now, guys, um, that's an important thing there. Um, notice, it seem, they seem like innocent words, but... Notice what he says, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So what does Jonah have permission to do? Speak forth what God tells him. Now, this one has a whole bunch of application. We could, I could keep you here for the rest of the time. You know what that means translated today? That as messengers of the Lord, we only have permission to give this out. We do not have permission to add to it or take away from it. Would you agree with that? And even though you don't agree, may not agree, the Bible says it. The Bible says don't add to, take away from. So if I'm adding to it, I'm a legalist. And if I'm taking away from, I'm a liberal. I just say be biblical. How about that? And that's what God's called Jonah to do. Hey, proclaim what it is I'm going to give you. All right, so... We follow up the recommissioning in verses 1 and 2 with the obedience of the prophet in verses 3 and 4. Notice what it says, verses 3 and 4. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. This next little section is kind of interesting. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. And then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk and he cried out and said, Yet forty days... And Nineveh will be overthrown. So the first thing we kind of need to look at there is that little uh, phrase as it relates to the three days journey. Um, there's, uh, and there's, I'll tell you what, one of the things I do get tired of is there's all this disagreement all the time. But anyway, having said that, there's kind of a disagreement in terms of interpretation. What is Jonah telling us in terms of the three days? Um, this comes from, I have a book, it's about, that thick, literally, it's a huge book, the complete word study of the Old Testament. And so that's where I got this, uh, this uh, quote from. Scholars do not agree on what a three-day journey signifies. The most sensible meaning was that there was a group of three cities, Nineveh, Korzabad, and Nimrud, and that's how you pronounce it, I looked it up, which, make, which made up the Nineveh Triangle where Jonah was to preach, the name Nineveh is used because that would be the final and greatest of the three cities of Assyria. 
And it was against Nineveh that God's judgment would finally be carried out. In addition, Nineveh was the center of the three cities. So I thought, I sure hope this map shows up. Yeah, it does. You can see that. You see those cities that they're talking about there? And so that's one viewpoint. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's that one or this one. But there's another view about the three days journey. And I thought this was kind of interesting because you can kind of um, look back at some of the excavation that's been done over there in Mesopotamia. It says excavations in Mesopotamia have confirmed the Bible's description that it took three days to go around the city of Nineveh. So one of those two views, the bottom line is that Jonah went through Nineveh. And the bottom line is that Jonah went through Nineveh preaching is what the scripture tells us in verse 3. So it says, now, Jonah, uh, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. And then look at what verse 4 says. Verse 4 says, then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So according to verse number 4, Jonah goes one day's uh, into the city, and he proclaims the message the Lord gives to him. I like what John Walford says here because I think it's a, a good point he makes. In commenting on uh, Jonah's journey into Nineveh, um, he wrote, Going a day's journey does not mean that Jonah traveled into the city for a whole day before he started preaching. That's not the idea. Instead, it is likely, he says, that that means on the first day he entered the city, he began preaching. So if it took him three days to go through the city, he's preaching, and he's preaching the second day, and he's preaching the third day. He's preaching. He's got something to say, and the message comes from the Lord. Uh, the last point that we see here in verse uh, 4 is that the message that I observed is that the message was short and strong. Short and strong. <laughs> Notice what it says. Here's his message, eight words. Now, we're not given anything beyond that. And theologians wrestle with, okay, was that it? Is that all Jonah said? Um, Wow, Jonah's leaving out grace and mercy and loving kindness of the Lord and all that kind of thing. Well, all we have is what we have here in the text. The text tells us that yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was the message. But I want you to know, though, that grace is present in this message. You're like, that? where is it? I'll tell you where it is. He doesn't go into the city of Nineveh and say, tomorrow this city will be destroyed. What does he say? 40 days. 40 days. That's grace. How about that? That's grace. Today, us breathing is grace. It's grace. You're not in charge of your breathing. The Lord's in charge of that. You believe that? He creates, he sustains. Read Genesis. He's the creator, he's the sustainer. All right? And so, 40 days, 40 days, God gives grace to this city. Guys, listen, every day we come have is grace. And so the message, think about how important it is because if we truly believe that the Lord's coming back any time, then this is a grace day. And we have a message to tell to others. And so, this is the message from Jonah. 
yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. I wonder after reading chapter 4 how much he really enjoyed that. Because in chapter 4, you're going to run up a guy against a guy who doesn't seem to have the right attitude. I don't know. But what we do have is that Jonah preached his message. Well, how does the message go? What's the response of the people? The response of the people was given to us in verses 5 through 9. It says, verse 5, look at this. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. Oh. Now that's pretty significant. Now I want to tell you why it's significant. That word believed, do you know the first occurrence of that word is found in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6? First time. I looked it up in Strong's. First time it occurs in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. And listen, I'm a huge believer in looking back at the first time a word appears in the Bible. I believe that's really important. And so the first time we have this word believed used, same word that's used in Jonah chapter uh, 3, it's used in reference to Abraham when God speaks to Abraham. And the Bible tells us, Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, then he, being Abraham, did what? Say it again. He did what? Who believed? Abraham believed. He believed. How significant was his belief? I'll tell you. Look what the text says. And, it, and he reckoned it, God did, to him as what? Righteousness. What put Abraham in right standing with God from the text? Belief. Now, I went to elementary school, and in elementary school, I was in trouble most of the time. But you know, in elementary school, I made A's all the time. Wasn't that nice? And I got to middle school, and something happened. I think they started caring, the teachers did. Because I remember the first time I went home with my report card, <whistles> let me just say there were, there were a few curves in the letters that I made, and a few extra lines, and boy, my dad got a hold of me. But you know, children, we witness to them, don't we? Answer, yeah, we do. And we share the gospel with them, right? From the time they're small. Why do we share the gospel with our kids from the time they're small? Well, there's several reasons. Number one, God wants us to. Number two, we believe that the Lord can change them, don't we? Don't we? He can. And what do we tell them they must do in order to be saved? They have to believe in what the Lord Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. And you know what? When I was seven years old, I believed. And you look here in Genesis chapter 15, and it says, He believed. Because of his belief in the Lord, he was in right standing with God. That's good stuff. Well, he believed, and the Bible tells us the people of Nineveh believed in God. Now, what did that produce? Look at this. It says, the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth. Um, that wasn't comfortable. From the greatest 
to the least of them. So notice in the crying out, the action of the people was from the top to the bottom. The greatest to the least, the richest to the poorest. I put here as a second observation that it seems from verse 5 that the action of the people seemed to indicate an awareness of their need for God. Listen, there are people walking around our city that need God. You know what we need to be praying is that God would take, remove the scales off of their eyes and when they hear the message of the gospel of Christ, they would come to faith in Christ. So the Bible says the action of the people hears there as a fast, right? And they put on sackcloth. But then not only did the people respond, the Bible tells us that the king of Nineveh responded. This is really interesting. You know, the people responding is one thing. And you kind of go, okay, the people are responding. Apparently, you know, there's this, this great movement of God in the, in the hearts and the lives of these people. But even the king. Notice verse 6. It says, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. Wow. So that's step one. That's the king's first step. You say, well, how big is that step? Oh, it's huge. Because putting on uh, sackcloth and sitting in ashes was a picture, right, of distress, a picture of repentance. Jeremiah 6 and Daniel 9 kind of point to that. And so the king of Nineveh, I put here, he responds in great humility. But there's something about him taking off the robe, and I was reading and doing some research, and I thought this was interesting. I don't know um, if I put this slide up for you guys. I did. Albert Barnes wrote about this, this uh, garment that the king wore. And I thought this was really interesting. It's really fascinating. So it says here in verse 6 that he laid aside his robe. Well, what's the big deal? Albert Barnes says this. This was the large, costly upper garment, so-called from its fullness. It is the name of the large Babylonian garment. You remember Achan? You remember Achan? He took from what the spoil he wasn't supposed to take, was he? But notice, it's interesting here. It says, which Achan coveted. He coveted that garment. As worn by kings, it was the most significant, or excuse me, magnificent part of their dress and a special part of their state. Kings were buried as they lived. And splendid apparel and rich adornments were buried with them. The king of Nineveh exchanges, I thought this was a really great quote. The king of Nineveh exchanges purple and gold. Who doesn't like that color, right? You have to mention George when you think of purple and gold. LSU, go Bengal Tigers, G-E-A-U-X, all that good stuff, right? The king of Nineveh exchanges purple and gold for the simple, rough, and sordid sackcloth. Now, who's going to tell me that's not a movement of God? That's a movement of God right there. And his throne for the most dismal ashes, the humblest thing he could do, fulfilling a deeper degree of humility than even that of the people. So you see, it had a personal impact on him, but it also 
impacted him so much that he made a decree. Look at verse uh, 7 through 9. He made a decree. And um, verse 7, he says, he issued a proclamation. And it said, in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles. Now look at this. Do not let man, and he even included beasts. Which as you research it, it wasn't uncommon. Do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a what? A thing. Nothing. Do not let them eat or drink water. You know, this, I've read this passage so much, but I was, as I was looking at it the other day, it's the first time I, thought I saw water. Don't even let them drink water. We need water. But the king made a decree for man and beast as it related to eating. And then in verse 8 he says, But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And notice then, I love this next phrase. Look what it says. And let them, let men call on God. And the word there in the Hebrew means mightily. Mightily. Let men call on God mightily or earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Turn. That's repentance. Turn. That each one would turn from his wicked way. So the king is doing what? He's acknowledging the wickedness. There's wickedness. So he says that they would turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hand. And then verse 9, notice what he says. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his anger so that we will not perish. Guys, you look at the story and you go, okay, but did they really turn? What do you say? Did they really turn? The Bible certainly seems to strongly indicate that they turned. But do you know that we have something in the Gospel of Matthew? I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. I want to show you this, and I give you three things to leave with this morning. The Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke record the words of our Lord as it pertains to Nineveh. You know, it's interesting to me that one of the most scrutinized books, the Lord quotes, <laughs> right? I mean, Jonah gets a beating. But the Lord referred to Jonah. It's not just a fairy tale story. It's real. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We talked about that. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they, they did what? What's the next word? That's right. Repented. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. They repented. They turned. And the Bible says they believed. They believed in God. And what's the response that we should have to thousands of people 
literally hundreds of thousands of people turning and believing in the Lord. There should be what? Joy. We're going to look at Jonah's reaction next week. It's not the greatest. I want to share a story with you about Billy Graham. I really like Billy Graham, and the older I get, the more I like him. And I think the reason I do is because I have such a respect for him. You talk about a man above reproach with great integrity. But have any of you ever watched some of the old Billy Graham crusades? Are you as bored as I am sometimes? <laughs> but then you look at that, it's like, wow. I was looking at one not too long ago, 1976. He's preaching in San Diego. And obviously San Diego is a huge military town. And, you know, when you think of Billy Graham and the crusade, you think, wow, they were long. But, you know, if you really listen to the messages of Billy Graham, they weren't that long. In fact, typically they were short and very strong. And in 1976, I happened to be watching this one just a few weeks ago, and I thought, I'm going to share this with the congregation. I love the title of his message. He told the audience, thousands of people, he said, I'm going to preach today. I'm going to talk about t- today the impact of you not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm like, whoa. And it just immediately caught my interest. And I watched it. I still have it on my DVD. Isn't that, those DVDs are nice. You can just watch it over and over again. But to see him stand, and if they, they pan the audience, and there are, there are all kinds of soldiers in that audience, and, and their eyes are just like glued to him. And it's not because they're going, oh, wow, that's Billy Graham. They were listening to the message. Guys, you know what we're responsible to do? Give the message. That's what we're responsible to do. The Lord will handle the results. I've got two things I want to leave with you, and we'll be done. Lessons learned. The first one is, the Lord God gives second chances. By the way, if you want to read about a good second chance and a picture of wonderful grace, go to Genesis chapter 3 and read verse 21. After the fall of Adam, you remember before the fall it says, they were naked and what? Not ashamed. After the fall... They were naked, and they were ashamed. They were hiding. But do you know what the Lord did graciously in verse 21? Gave them garments of what? Skin. There was a sacrifice made to clothe them. And I'm like, man, you are a God of second chances. So you may be out there in the audience today going, man, there's just no way God can forgive me again and again and again. And I would tell you this, the Bible says he can and he does. He's that gracious, right? Don't, don't give in to thinking, I can never be forgiven. The Lord does forgive. The second uh, lesson that I think is in the text is the Lord God has given us a message. We need to take the personal responsibility to share it with others. And we don't have permission to change the message to placate an audience, to make it sound good to people. And I hate to say it, but there are guys out there, and we won't mention names this morning, but there are guys out there that are soft-peddling the gospel because they want people to stay in the seats. And you know what they're avoiding? And you can't avoid this if you're going to share the gospel. 
You can't avoid sin. You got to talk about it because that's what separates man from God. And I'm so thankful Jesus Christ took care of all that. Well, three, four, and five, you see those observations there? Lessons learned? Those are the ones you're going to write down this afternoon. All right? So as you go through and you study and you read some more about this. All right, well, let's have a word of prayer uh, together this morning. So, Lord, um, thank you for the life of Jonah. There's a lot here to consider about him. Um, I'm amazed, Lord. I think one of the most amazing things is, is that um, you chose to, to use him uh, again or recommission him again. But it gives me hope because there's many, many times in my life where I have failed you. And you've been so gracious to pick me up and to forgive me and I thank you, Lord, that your spirit resides within me. I pray that we would, that we would have the mind um, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that as we step out into our world every day, as we consider the people that are before us, that we would take personal ownership of the responsibility to be a missionary. We all have that responsibility. We may not be called to Iraq or Iran or Syria or any of these other places. Lord, we're called, I know, right in our own Jerusalem. And I pray you'd help us to start there. I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And I pray that we wouldn't move to it to the right or to the left, but that we would stay on center and that we would be led by your spirit. And all these things I pray in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, let's all stand. We're going to sing victory in Jesus. I love this old hymn because it captures salvation for every single one of us. At some point in time, like that I was talking about, we heard the truth. At some point in time, we believed the truth. And in a future time, we're going to be with God forever and ever and ever. So we're going to sing about that. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary To save a wretch like me Elvis precious blood's atoning Then I repented of my sin and won the victory Oh, victory in Jesus My Savior forever He sought me and bought me With His redeeming blood He loved me ere I knew Him And all my love is due me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again, and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my bro. Jesus came and brought to me the love of 
sing out. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me. Some sweet day I'll sing up there a song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming love. He loved me. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. A couple of quick announcements uh, before we close. Just remember, small groups is starting September 8th and 10th, so sign up for that. Um, just really good time of fellowship and connecting with other believers and getting plugged in the church is a great opportunity uh, for you guys. And remember, August 11th is the visitor's lunch. If you're interested in this church or want to know more about the church, we're going to have a lunch for you guys uh, in the Family Matters room over there right after church there. Let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Yeah, we just thank you so much for your grace and your mercy uh, that gives us chances Many chances, Lord, and I just thank you that your, your love and your grace and your mercy is uh, just overwhelming, Lord, and we can't describe how much you love us. And Father God, we just want to give you all the glory and honor uh, for everything that we do this week, that we will be a shining light, uh, that we will just be aware and sensitive to the opportunities that you bring up at our works, at our life, wherever we're at, Lord, that we will be a shining light for you. Give us the right words. Speak through us today and this week. We thank you for everything you do for us in your name. Amen. You're dismissed.